ReachMD XM157 presents a special series, Insights in Future Medicine. Constant attention by a good nurse may be just as important as a major operation by a surgeon. Doug Hammerschold. Well, robots are replacing surgeons, so who will the nurse of the future be? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the voice of medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host. Join me and my guest, Dr. Marla Salman, for a special program on the future of nursing. Dr. Salman is professor and dean of the School of Nursing at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. She is the former director of the Division of Nursing for the United States Department of Health and Human Services, chair of the National Advisory Committee on Nursing Education and Practice, and served on the White House Task Force on Healthcare Reform. Today we are discussing what's in store for the nurses in the foreseeable future. Welcome, Dr. Salman, and thanks for taking the time to join us. I'm glad to be here. Well, you've had quite a distinguished career, to say the least. What, from your experiences, do you feel are going to be most important in the preparation of nurses for the next 10 years or so? Well, I think probably it's it's two things, and one is that the people who become nurses are more like the people that we are as a society, so that there's more diversity, there are more men, there are more people of color, that it's who we are instead of being what it is now, which is largely older, white, middle-class, middle-aged women. And I think that's that's a key piece. But the other thing is that the, the nurses of tomorrow are going to need to be people who really engage very much with the teams that they work with. They need to be resilient, and you know, for me, it, that's a very exciting thing to think about a career where you could do almost anything literally in the future, but that takes people who are excited about that, who really want to be in a, a quick-paced, fast-changing, challenging and rewarding enterprise, and that's what nursing will be in the future. Are there going to be new skills that have to be taught that aren't currently being taught, and which ones do you see are going to be the most important? Well, Probably the, the basic skills that we've identified with nursing will continue to, to change. I mean, when we think about the, the things that involve hands, um, nurses are interfacing with technology all of the time in different ways, and so the skills that are associated with that are going to, to continue to change. But probably it's more in the cognitive domain when you think about how nurses should be thinking about the future and what skills they bring in terms of the ways that they think. It's very clear that nurses are going to have to be managers of resources and they're going to have to partner with others. And that takes really being good critical thinkers, being good resource managers, being good collaborators, having enough of a sense of the rest of the world to be able to understand the ways in which one can change one's practice to meet those needs. That's a bright person. That's a person who's well-educated and a person who is adventuresome. What about teaching communication skills? From what you're talking about, the team approach seems to be critical, and yet certainly physicians are not the world's greatest communicators. Steve Covey, whose books I love, you know, says it first understand and then learn to be understood. How do you teach people how to communicate? That sounds like that's going to be critical. Well, it is. And I think that nursing has a bit of an edge up because so much of what nursing is is about communication, at least with the people that we serve. But the challenge here is not just being able to communicate well with the people you serve, but being able to communicate well with the people that you work with. You know, the future is teams, and the kind of communication that takes place in teams is different than when one sees oneself as a solo practitioner, if you will, whether you're a physician or a nurse. That does mean 
listening. It does mean having established common ground. I think nurses and probably a lot of other people are really big on the idea of consensus. Consensus isn't going to work in the future. People are so different. There is so much diversity and there's a lot of richness in that. So part of this communication piece and partnering with others means building common ground being able to understand the perspectives of others well enough to be able to say, here's something that we share, whether it's a commitment or a value or a sense of purpose, and building on that. That's where successful teams, I think, really can be developed and where communication is at its best is when it's centered around what people hold in common. Could you go into that a little bit further when you said consensus building? You said that's not going to happen anymore? No, I don't think so. I think that the whole notion of consensus, it's almost a religion, I think, for some people to, to have to have consensus before you move forward. That works if you're homogeneous. That works if everybody's the same and everybody has the same values and the same perspectives. Unfortunately, that is also a form of wearing people down. I mean, I'm not sure that that there really is such a thing as true consensus. I think at some points people say, I'm tired of it, I give up, I'll go. But I think in the future, the kinds of complexity that we're facing in healthcare, a lot of it relates to people coming from different places with different views, different experiences, and different strengths to bring to the table. I would like to take the time to welcome those who are just joining us for this special program on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Dr. Marla Salman, Dean of the School of Nursing at Emory University School of Medicine. We're discussing what the future holds for the nursing profession. I'm sorry for that interruption. Please continue. As we're looking at a workforce that is much more diverse, that has much more complexity, many more types of experiences that are very different, We're looking at needing to have health professionals who can actually work constructively across groups of people and with groups of people. So consensus really really shouldn't be the aim. It should be about building common ground, partnerships, and communication. And those are skill sets that I think aren't normally taught. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever seen a course on partnership development. It's interesting. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal just the other day about who makes the most successful CEO. And it's actually the tough leader and not the touchy-feely person. Do you think that's going to work in the medical arena? Well, you know, healthcare and I think medicine, nursing, all of the health professions have always been a little bit at odds with the corporatization of the health enterprise. And I think there's a really good reason for that. When you're looking at a CEO, the people that you serve are your shareholders. When you're looking at the professional in the health context, you're looking at people whose advocacy is focused on serving the patient. And then the realities of being in an enterprise have to be accommodated, they have to be negotiated, and they have to be led. And so there is always this delicate balance between assuring that the institution survives and thrives so that it serves patients and it serves the people who come there to to be a part of it. Talking about patient care, a couple of questions I had is, what do you see the role of midwives? Oh, I think midwives are just a great asset. I mean, I, I think that what we're looking at now is a whole generation of people, again, who are thinking about the birth experience. I mean, I, I think that we've moved to a point where birth is considered to be a normal process that uh, human beings go through instead of... Gosh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we medicalized it, and I don't mean that in terms of physicians doing it, but we basically turned it into... Particularly, you know, it started in the Victorian era, that it was somehow a malady and it had to be treated and it was dangerous. And I think that midwives, and we have a nurse midwifery program here, are 
the absolute right way to go for normal childbirth and great prenatal care. The other trend that's happening is as we have shortages of, of access to care and shortages of physicians and nurses, midwives are expanding into areas like women's health across the lifespan. And we have a whole generation of women who are aging who may have started out birthing a baby with a midwife but are now looking for ongoing care. And so for primary care, midwifery can be a a very interesting option. We have a very active international program here at Emory, and so one of the things that we see when we're working around the world is that midwives are just such a natural part of the landscape in most of the rest of the world that it's kind of surprising that we're still still talking about it. So international collaboration is going to be a big force in the future. Absolutely. It's going to continue to be a real challenge, and I think we're challenged in a lot of ways with respect to the importation of health workers, physicians or nurses and others, the other piece to it is really the challenge that we are facing as a country as basically we're the biggest importer of health workers from around the world and unfortunately from some of the least resourced parts of the world. So bottom line is we don't have a sustainable workforce and we're relying heavily on the rest of the world and we've got to think carefully about that and think about how we create reciprocity. Now on the other hand, we're also exporting patients and the whole medical tourism phenomenon is really starting to heat up, and we're seeing some U.S. nurses, for example, go to other countries, which is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I've read about that. I could just think of, you know, take a trip to India for your heart surgery and visit the Taj Mahal. That's exactly what it's billed as. You know, you can get a first-class ticket to Thailand or to India, have your procedure for a third of what it would cost here, and have it covered by your insurance, have state-of-the-art care. I mean, these are these are centers that are, in many cases, collaborating with U.S. companies. And then have a nice vacation, come back first class, and be relaxed well, and in the case of plastic surgery, look different than when you left. <laughs> and it's all tax-deductible. And it's all tax-deductible. Good heavens, I think I'm leaving right now. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you mentioned corporatization. Retail clinics are popping up all over. Obviously, they're being staffed by advanced practice nurses, nurse practitioners. What's your feeling about the retail clinics and... Is that an effect on the medical home you're concerned about? Well, I'll tell you what. I think that most of our medical homes are in foreclosure. I think that what we have is a system that has become so incredibly dysfunctional. We have wonderful providers who are struggling to give people health homes, if you will, whether it's medical or primary care and shared with nurse practitioners. And what's happened is that it's very hard for people to get seen when they need to be seen, just for basic things. It's very hard for people to have time with someone to talk about some of the concerns that they have. And the idea of being able to pay less, go to your corner, in this case in in our area, it's go to your corner CVS, get your flu shot, have a few questions answered, be out in a few minutes, is really very attractive. Now, I consider it a symptom of a failing system. I don't think that that constitutes the kind of care that anybody wants or needs across a lifespan. I think it's a patch, I think it's a Band-Aid, and I think it's a symptom. What is the single most important policy decision that you would make today that would benefit nursing in the future? Single most important policy decision? I think it would be reinvestment on the part of the federal government in the production and also maintenance of of a sustainable workforce. What we saw in the 80s and the 90s was a fundamental erosion of federal support for health professions, not just nursing. 
And as a result, we saw scholarships drop, we saw the capacity of schools decrease, and now we're trying to ramp up and we're not seeing a reinvestment on the part of the government in the ways that we should. And without doing things like expanding production capacity of schools, we're not going to increase numbers. If you don't have training for faculty and reimbursement of faculty, nurses who become faculty, you're not going to have production in the future. And there's a huge national shortage of faculty. I'd like to thank you so much, Dr. Salman, for sharing your views of the future for the nursing profession. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and take advantage of our new on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health. Thank you for listening to a special series, Insights in Future Medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.